0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast.
1: What is up, my beautiful people? This is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. The Bear of Texas, and this is Into the Net FC Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number one hundred. Let's welcome back my good friend and mentor, Steve Adams. Steve, you ready for episode number one hundred, brother?
2: Hundred episodes. It's quite a watermark, my friend. Congratulations.
1: Well, thank you so much, and thank you very much for actually make for being a huge part of this show. And here's to another hundred episodes in the next few months.
2: Be a lot of talking points between. Uh, Champions League, between World Cup qualifying and just uh, the day-to-day drama of the regular leagues. So, a um, couple of really interesting days of Champions League soccer, to be sure.
1: I mean, this is what I love about soccer. There's always, always something, and the off-seasons are just so short. I love it. But the Champions League did, did start, and, well, for for one of my clubs, obviously, it, didn't, it did not go so well, but for another club that I actually follow more... Paris Saint-Germain, that was pretty embarrassing considering the three triplets were playing the game. But in your case, Liverpool actually had it. played a great game. Um, Liverpool in that
2: group of death uh, with Porto, Atlético Madrid, who drew. And then AC Milan. I mean, these are two clubs that have so much history. AC Milan is one the... Champions Cup slash Champions League seven times, Liverpool six times. Interestingly enough, the only times they've ever, prior to Tuesday, uh, the only times they'd ever played each other were in cup finals. Liverpool's memorable comeback from being down three zip, coming off the deck to score three goals in the second half, and then winning it on penalties. That was 2005. And then AC Milan exacted some revenge winning in 2007. So, yeah, Tuesday was only the third time they'd ever met in European competition. Liverpool came out guns blazing. They were pressing. They had the majority of the possession. They had the majority of shots. Um, they get a goal early on that was called an own goal, uh, but off the shot by uh, Alexander-Arnold. And, you know, sitting at like 42 minutes – you're thinking, okay, Liverpool's going to go into the locker room ahead. And then within like 90 seconds, AC Milan gets two goals. They go in 2-1. Um ties the game at about the 50th minute off a really nice strike. And then getting a little bit later on, uh, Jordan Henderson off the half volley Hits an absolute howitzer into the net to get the winning third goal for Liverpool. Fantastic game, phenomenal atmosphere at Anfield. Uh, Crowd was just absolutely going nuts, and uh, you know it was it was great seeing the exchanges between uh, Jurgen Klopp and Paolo Maldini, the AC Milan coach. Just you know, this is the type of stuff that you live with, you live for for these European nights, such a fantastic match, lots of goals, lots of shots on goal, um, great game.
1: You know, in AC Milan's case, it's a, it's a shame to hear that Zlatny Ibrahimovic uh, suffered another injury.
2: Well, you know, it's 39 years old, and it becomes tougher and tougher to recover from these injuries.
1: Doesn't you know? I was a little, I was a little bit disappointed that Giroud didn't start the game. Although Giroud did end up coming in, but n- not much life out of it. But you know, Liverpool, uh, Mo Salah when he scored that beautiful goal, it was to make up for earlier because I think earlier he had a, he missed a penalty.
2: Yeah, that's the first time I'd actually seen him miss a penalty. Apparently, he had missed one back in 2017. That's the last time he missed a penalty. I mean, he's pretty much. The appointed executioner of a uh, PKs for
1: Liverpool, but
2: you know, nice stop by the Milan goalkeeper, and also uh, he actually was a double save, and he saved the follow-up shot. So, um, yeah, plenty of drama.
1: Oh, plenty of drama indeed. And and speaking of drama, you know what? I gotta get this over with. Manchester United just unbelievable, just. Absolutely humiliating, and I mean, some Man U supporters want to want to blame the early red card, but you know, I, I think it's a it's a team loss. You know, only Gunnar Solskjaer is going to have to take a bit of blame for some mismanagement, but the whole team obviously did, did not come to play. I mean, they didn't deserve to win. Well, well, first off, what all the score is a great
2: early goal for for Man U. It's a fantastic strike. But then, you know, kind of like what happened to England in their final against Italy at the Euros, it's like all of a sudden that getting that early goal, uh, man, you just sort of went into a shell. And then Young Boys pretty much took over the game. I mean, they were dominating heavily on shots, possession, um, tie the game. It looks like it's going to go to or not going to go in overtime, but it's going to finish as a draw, which wouldn't have been necessarily bad for, for Man U. I mean, surely they were expecting to get all three points in in Bern, But then uh, Jesse Lingard inexplicably does a back pass that ends up becoming uh, almost a perfect pass for the American international PFOC to put it away. Kept us cool, but uh, Lingard it was a slight, rule perfect back pass right to the American forward. And uh, all of a sudden, young boys, who probably would have been happy with a draw, truth be told, all of a sudden, they get all three points, and uh, the crowd in Baron is just going absolutely freaking batshit. Um, I mean, totally unexpected, but by far and away the biggest surprise of the first round of the Champions League. I don't think there was another game that was even close.
1: Oh, there wasn't. It's embarrassing. You know, I didn't expect Ronaldo to start this game, but Ronaldo started, you know, Pogba, Fernandez, Sancho all started, and it was good to see Donny Vanneby get the start. But, I mean, man, you had no excuse. I mean, there was was no reason for them not to win, and they didn't win. So, I mean – all I can say is, well, they better get it together because now that they go back to uh, Premier League play, their next game, they're playing uh, West Ham United on the road th- this uh, Sunday. So they better get it together.
2: Yep, they'll, they'll need to do that. And um, West Ham will be feeling pretty good about themselves. They uh, got their win today in the Europa League. So... Um, what can you say? Uh, the Hammers are probably really looking forward to this having Manu come to town after this. Totally. And and I think I actually kind of bespoke the other big surprise. Actually, was Bruges, even though they were playing in Bruges in Belgium, um, the one-one draw against PSG, and PSG had their totally loaded lineup. They had all their big guns out there, and you know PSG did not pick up the win. The Belgians got a, kind of a scrappy draw, and um, truth be told, I mean, they had more than a few chances on goal against the Parisians. So, uh, you know, that not nearly as big a shock as the as the young boys' win over Man U, but still, this was a bit of a surprise.
1: You got Neymar and Bappe and Messi right there, and you can't you you you, can't, you only score one goal. I mean, that's unacceptable. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean this is what I say this is what my dad and I speak about all the time PSG but, uh, has the money but you know the the problem is they don't win they don't win. they don't win
2: they're they're
1: going to win this group Alex oh oh oh, oh 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 for sure but you know but it's speaking of PSG their next Champions League game is against Manchester City so <laughs> I mean if you play all three of those guys against Manchester City I mean now now stuff is getting ba- now that's a game you you can't aff- afford to lose and it's actually and it's actually going to be in Paris, so uh, so yeah, you, you can't let Manchester City beat you. But I expect uh, the next Champions League game. I expect all three of the main guys—Messi, uh, Neymar, and Mbappe—to be in the starting lineup.
2: Should be a lot of fireworks. I mean, Manchester City wins six to three against Leipzig. This one ended up being a veritable goal fest, and uh, the Germans, uh, who have an American coach, uh, Alan Marsh. Uh, they were down 3-1, to one, and then 3-2, and then 4-2, and then 4-3. And then um, showing again the plethora of riches that France has with attacking players. And Kuka with a, with a hat trick for Leipzig. Uh, but then uh, Man City gets two later goals to put the game to bed and win 6-3. But, um, boy, the, the, the handful of fans that showed up at Man City, kind of the interesting talking point after that, because um, Etihad holds, I believe, 55,000. There were only 38,000 fans at a Champions League match. And um, apparently Pep Guardiola was sort of voicing his displeasure. And he's telling the fans that, you know, hey, you know, you need to show up. You know, for these kind of nights, and uh, I guess the the management at Man City sort of uh, took Pep to the wet woodshed and says, "No, you can't talk to the fans like that. You can't tweet like that." But uh, but it, it it is a bit of a head scratcher. They just only care about winning the EPL because I mean, in spite of in spite of all that talent, in spite of Pep, you know, who's Wonderful couple of these things, um, I don't know. Um, it, it is interesting, though, that they they did not sell out their stadium for this game. So it's a real head scratch here.
1: I don't blame Pep Guardiola for being uh, concerned. Uh, by the way, I, you cut off briefly, but I got you back. But, but don't worry, everything's cool. And you know, and speaking of uh, Christopher uh, Nkunku, I mean, a hat trick, you know, Against Manchester City, you know, this has to catch the attention of Didier Deschamps. I mean, it's not just, you know, this dude, you know, a a young midfielder. You know, you also got, you know, the dude Eduardo Camavinga, who's already already beginning to make an impact for Real Madrid. So, you know, it's it's like you said, the unlimited, endless riches that the French uh, Youth Football Academy has... You know, I mean, Nakanku is is definitely gonna have to be considered for being on the squad for France's final two World Cup qualifying matches. I mean, I mean, just another dude, another French dude. I mean, for this guy, I had not heard much of him before. He, I know he's a former. He used to play for PSG. He was actually in their youth academy, and and he played on the main uh, squad from twenty fifteen to twenty nineteen. Had fifty five appearances and eight goals. But I mean, just another French player that's all of a sudden, you know, starting to make a name for himself and. You know, the scouts are going to have to tell Didier Deschamps, you might want to call this guy up.
2: Well, I mean, things are so deep for France that you've got French-born players that are electing to play elsewhere, like uh, Heller with Ajax. He's French-born, but he's playing his international ball for the Cote d'Ivoire. And uh, big physical presence, and Ajax goes into Lisbon, lays an absolute beatdown on Sporting Lisbon, playing their first uh, Champions League match, I want to say, in four or five years. And um, the Ajax just ran rings around the Portuguese, but Holler with four goals. Big, strong presence. I mean, the Cote d'Ivoire probably has not had a center forward that's this big and strong and who can put the ball away since... Uh, Didier Drogba was uh, playing internationally for the Cote d'Ivoire. But very impressive start out of the blocks for Ajax against Sporting.
1: I mean, this dude, has Sebastian uh, Haller, I mean, four goals he'll scores in the second minute and then has another one seven minutes later. I mean, he he should be proud of himself. And, you know, and no, no doubt he can certainly do great with the uh, Ivory Coast national team and and I totally respect his decision that he chooses the I- Ivory Coast over France. You know, it's obvious. I mean, you know, because we we've said this before. The French national team, it's not for everybody, and it's it's not only it- it's because it's just so crowded. There's, France produces so many players. I mean, it it, it makes it even difficult for, the- for for the manager to even select these players. But but you know, and seeing Ajax just you know really just lay out a beatdown on, on Sporting. And, and I believe uh, Sporting, that's actually, that was Ronaldo's first club, if I'm correct.
2: That's right. Uh, sporting Lisbon was playing an exhibition match against Man U, and this 16-year-old kid was just absolutely running rings uh, around the Man United squad. And at that halftime of the game, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson goes to, you know, the... The management people says look you got to buy this kit you <clears throat> we've got to get this kid." and they consummated that deal pretty quickly and the rest as they say is history but yeah um, Ronaldo started out his career on the green side of Lisbon and um, oh, the Champions League matches there was one other surprise uh, Sharif from Moldova first time ever Moldovan club in the Champions League. They beat Shakhtar Donetsk. Shakhtar is a team that has won uh, a couple of Europa League titles. They beat Real Madrid twice last year. Unbelievably, in spite of beating Real Madrid twice, they ended up uh, not going through in the Champions League, and they went down to the Europa League. But Shakhtar Donetsk, the Ukrainian club, they have a bit of a pedigree. And... um, Sharif gets two goals. They take advantage. Uh, they didn't have that many opportunities. Shakhtar dominated the match in terms of possession and shots on goal, etc. But the Moldovans get a very, very famous win. So uh, lost among some of the other stuff. It's like this this plucky Moldovan club. Um, they just keep surprising people.
1: They do. And, you know, just you know, the fact that they're already going to be overwhelmed, you know, if they start off with a 2 nothing win, it's, you know? you know what? At least uh, that's something to be proud of. Well, and Shakhtar is a team that I thought, you know,
2: had a very, very good chance of advancing out of group play, you know, to, to get to the round of 16. So now the Ukrainians have a little bit of a tougher job to do.
1: Oh, totally. And you know, and uh, look, and look, speaking of, you know, uh, imagine you know, Atletico Madrid and Porto, a scoreless 0-0 draw and a red card at the very last minute. You know, looking at, this, at the lineup, I was actually su- surprised that they didn't start. They didn't actually, They didn't start Griezmann, although he did end up coming into in the game. But yeah, a little bit of a
2: surprise there. It's it's good news for Liverpool. Uh, and If Liverpool wants to win the group, uh, it works out pretty well. You beat AC Milan, and then you know, a couple teams that you know. I mean, obviously, Athletic Madrid is clearly the Spanish champs are the biggest threat. So, you know, the the 0-0, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, neither team loses, they each get a point, but Liverpool's certainly happy that, you know, they've got that two-point cushion, you know, one game in. I'm really, really curious when Liverpool plays Atletico. That's, uh, there's ghosts of uh, 2019 and, or, It'll just be really interesting to see the the rematch up with Atletico.
1: Oh, totally. You know, looking at this game, you know, the game Real Madrid and Inter Milan. You know, I was really this was a game I really didn't know how it would go, but but the way this game went, I mean, Rodrigo scoring in the 89th minute. You know, and and the person who, uh, the man who I'd rather say, the man who provided the assist is none other than Eduardo Camavinga. You know, in this game, it's more than you see. Two youth, two young guys. You know, an eighteen-year-old and a you know providing the assist to a twenty-one-year-old like that. You know, you, that's the future Real Madrid right there. But it's it's just, for Rodrigo. He's been with the club for at least three years now. But those times, you know, I, I guess you know because of poor performance, he was he would be sent back to the B team or just spend more time on the bench. But You know, Rodrigo, that's a huge goal, and that's a big step forward for him. You know, same thing with Camavinga, because, again, Camavinga gave the assist, but, man, Camavinga really is wasting no time. No, I
2: mean, he's pretty much since leaving Brittany uh, to come to the Spanish capital, he's hit the ground running. Um, This was a game, though, where actually Inter was very wasteful with their early chances they had. Not only did they have the, the... dominant possession early on they had several guilt chances at goal and um, they were wasteful and Real Madrid just made them pay at the very very end
1: I mean I'm, I'm looking at the lineup you know Inter Milan you know, a five midfielder set so I would have I would have figured that that would make it difficult for Real Madrid, but you know as you say, Inter Milan had all the opportunities; they would squander them, and Los Blancos just made them pay for it at the very end. Yep, yeah, no, no and, doubt. And but... what's funny and what's interesting is that both Rodrigo and Camavinga did were not in the starting lineup; they both came in as substitutes.
2: Yeah, and uh, also almost lost in translation. This is Real's third straight win against Inter because they swept the two games last year. Inter and Real Madrid were in the same group last year too, and now that's three wins in a row and big win against the Italian champs on the road in Milan. I mean,
1: I'm sorry, I, you know Real Madrid—they're showing signs to you know to becoming their old selves, but you know they still have got a long way to go.
2: But. Um... But yeah, so good results for Real, and they're starting off hitting the ground pretty well in La Liga too. So, you know, all this talk about oh, it's going to be PSG or one of the four English clubs. I mean, I wouldn't, I would not undersell Bayern Munich. That's still a pretty formidable team, as they showed in their first match. Um, so I wouldn't. Wouldn't discount uh, the team from Madrid either. Uh, I think Real's is going to have something to say in this before everything is all said and done, too.
1: It looks to me Real Madrid could actually be a, a big dark horse in this tournament. It's
2: hard to talk. It's hard to think about a club like Real Madrid as being a dark horse. But um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think there's a part of me that thinks that maybe they're talking up the the, the four EPL teams, perhaps. A little too much, although, I mean, three of the four did get wins. Man City got a win. Liverpool got a win. Chelsea got a win. Um, so, but, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think in the end, you know, once this team starts to gel a little bit, um, they're, they're going to give teams problems. Bayern Munich, they're still going to give teams problems too. Um they went to the the new camp in Barcelona and did a beatdown on the Catalans. Uh, Barcelona looks a shadow of the the team that they once were, and it, it was beyond just no no more Lionel Messi. I mean, just an absolutely dominant performance by the Germans. Um, so I mean, they're gonna have something to say too. Alfonso Davies, the Canadian his pace and what he brings to that team. I mean, I know people probably get tired of me saying it, but I, I truly believe with my, my heart that right now, Alfonso Davies of Canada is the best player from CONCACAF by far.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, it's difficult for some people, cause, you know, especially because, you know, they want to say they believe that Pulisic, Pulisic is. Like, look, Polzik is is amazing. There's no doubt. It's just the problem with Polzik is is you know is the ability of staying healthy and and the problem is Steve. And you're right about Davies. The people, the reason why some just don't want to accept, even though what you say is is 100 true, and I and I 100 agree, is because how often do you hear about a, a player who, who who's from Canada who plays for the Canadian national team? I mean, it's not often you see Canadian players play in Europe. I mean, people are just not used to it, but. You know, Alfonso Davies is just a unique, rare, one-of-a-kind talent. I mean, you can't deny the fact that he's a good player. I mean, there's no point, whether you support Bayern Munich or not, you got to face the facts. And, you know, and I'm not just saying this from journalism terms. I mean, Oops. look, you know, Davies puts on a show. I mean, you know, and, and I was glad to see, you know, Dayo Upamecano uh, get start, and You know, it's good to see Benjamin Paval play again, and I really hope he can stay healthy. Same thing with Luca Hernandez, who came in as a sub, but you know Bayern Munich is is Bayern Munich is tough I mean much like the German national team Bayern Munich is a club they're not going to go away just because you tell them to you got to make them go away well I mean they've won the
2: Bundesliga nine years on the trot and at least from what I've seen so far this year I don't know if there's anybody else in the Bundesliga that's really going to give them a, a serious push I I think it's just going to end up being between Leipzig, Dortmund, uh, possibly Wolfsburg, you know, fighting it out for the Europe, the European spots. Um, but as far as you know, can can Bayern Munich make it back to the summit of the of the Champions League again like they did two seasons ago? Uh, they certainly look pretty darn capable, and you've got one Robert Lewandowski who can put the ball into the back of the net with great regularity.
1: I mean, Lewandowski, just an absolute prolific scorer. And, you, know, Kings and, you know, Kingsley Coman also came in. So, you know, it's good to see the French players, you know, coming in. And I can only hope that they can stay healthy because, you know, because by the time these next two, the final two games, I mean, France is going to have to play their hearts out. They're going to have to do put convincing results, and especially next year because the title fence is next year, and and I do not want what happened in 2002 to happen again. Although a lot of people believe it will, although I always tell people check the history. This curse actually supposedly happened once. Like it happened to Brazil only in '66, and then Germany it happened home in 2018, and France, and then Italy in 2010. But that doesn't mean that it won't happen to France, because you know France is France. We don't we don't know if they're gonna come in as a good focused team or if they're gonna come in as an arrogant team like, way in over their head, but but anyway, it's good to see uh, Upa Meccano and Pavel, you know, get the start, in my case.
2: Well, and on the subject of French teams, uh, that brings us to Lille hosting uh, Wolfsburg. Um, John Brooks, American player, makes it on the statistics sheet in not a good way by getting two yellows to get a red card, but in spite of having that man advantage for, like, about 20 minutes. Leal was not able to really convert. Uh, Tim Weah of the American International, he's still out with an injury, so he wasn't playing for, for the dogs. But, um, you know, if Leal was going to try to make any type of run, that 0-0 draw at home to Wolfsburg was not really going to be a great way to start. You
1: know, Leal is just not having a... They're certainly not having a good title defense in, as far as league A goes, so you know, and that that worries me, Steve. Because if, if things aren't going well for them in league Uh, it certainly probably won't be going well in the in the Champions League. But it's still early, especially in league Uh, you know, because if I because if I remember correctly, when we spoke about this. Leal is down in twelve in twelfth place, so that's not good for them.
2: Well, Leal's lucky in that. They're in a group that's, you know, pretty darn even. I mean, there's no real humongous sharks that's in that group. You know, there's not one of the big Spanish clubs. The one German club in the group is Wolfsburg, which is really a fair club at best. You know, this is a team that's, I don't see them making any deep run in this tournament. But, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, it was good to see Lille being able to play some Champions League ball. They still have a fairly intact starting lineup compared to what they had last year. I mean, they weren't as gutted as, like, say, for example, when Montpellier won the French title back in 2012 and it was just a uh, blue-light special. The whole team pretty much got sold out. So by the time Montpellier got to the Champions League, I mean, they were just pretty much a whipping post. So Lille's big thing, though, is they, they lost their coach. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that that ends up being you know a pretty big thing.
1: It, it really does, and you know. And speaking of uh, the Montpellier team that won it back in the it was the twenty eleven twenty twelve season, right? Or is it twenty twelve twenty thirteen? No, twenty eleven twenty twelve. Okay. Yeah, of course, my boy Giroud was on was on that team, and you know, and, you know, and, and when my dad talks about it, uh, talks about that, and it, it really brought up great memories him because you know, of course, you know, when I talk talk with my dad, he always likes to bring up you know back in the day when. When league uh, was was heavily competitive, I'm sure that brings up a lot of memories to you. But you know, it, it's good that once in a while, the Cinder there's a, there's, a, there's a Cinderella story in a soccer league. I mean, it was, look, it was
2: nice to see Lille pip PSG last year to to win the title. You know, it makes things more interesting. Just like it was such a surprise in 2012 when Montpellier won that title, their first ever. And uh, I was actually in Montpellier, you know, during that time when they won. And, uh, yeah, the city was just uh, – it was, it, was, it was just fantastic to see, you know, uh, for a team that has never won to finally win. You know, that was pretty cool. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, Lille does have time to recover in this. But, uh, but boy, without Galtier's magic wand – wheel just seems really a shadow of themselves
1: yeah it's difficult for them but hopefully they recover so I'm looking at Chelsea you know not so much to talk about I mean Lukaku scored the game winner in the 69th minute and you know Edouard Mendy, I believe that's like that's at least 13 clean sheets in the Champions League play and and I'm looking at the starting lineup yeah most of the starters uh, it was most of the starters did not start. You know, Timo Werner was was on the was a substitute, but never came in. Kai Havertz uh, did come in, and as far as I know, uh, Pulisic is is still hurt. So, but you know, Chelsea was you know being Chelsea, but you know it's a dull one. Nothing nothing win, but in their case, a win's a win. Uh, Do you have any Do you have any comment on that game? Because I I don't want to move forward without without uh, you know hearing what you have to say. (laughs) They kept the clean sheet. They got
2: the win. You know, to use the totally Russa expression, they won ugly. You know, it. Uh, you know, at the end, it really, really didn't matter. Uh, but they, they got the win, and you know, they, they'll march on.
1: Oh, totally. And you know, I think, guess the final game. To, well, look, there, there's also Besiktas and Dortmund. But before that, we'll t- take a look at Juventus and Malmo. Malmo. Uh, you know, every time I think of Malmo, it makes me think of a young Zlatan because Malmo is where Zlatan started. Yeah, it all
2: started in that city in southern Sweden. Um, Euro- European Champions Cup finalists in 1979 when they lost to Nottingham Forest. Um, but Juventus got well in a hurry. They have had a terrible start at Serie A, but uh, but they knocked three goals past the Swedes to get the win. So uh, mission accomplished for for the Bianco Neri. Um, but yeah, you know, nothing really else more you can say about it. It's a pretty comprehensive win, not totally surprising. I
1: mean, Juventus is just, you know, it's just been so difficult for them. You know, it's it's before, you know, even the whole, uh, about the whole story about Ronaldo leaving, but Juventus just really hasn't haven't been themselves. You know, it's it's been a while since Juventus has been like a top dominant form, but... But Juventus needed this win, and, and you know, for Paulo uh, Di- Di- Diabala and Alvaro Morata both, you know, making an impact, you know, if Juventus can keep winning, then things can start to get better.
2: Well, of course, for fans of American soccer, Weston McKinney plies his club trade with Juventus, so, you know, you hope that, you know, he can continue to grow and play well and learn while playing with Juventus.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was good to see uh, Adrien Rabiot started this game. Also, Uh, yeah, McKinney did get playing time, but he started on the bench. But it was good to see him play. It 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 really it really prides us, doesn't it? See when these American players get playing time in the Champions League. Well, it's it's good to be getting the
2: playing time. You want them to be able to shine, Um, you know. But uh, but yeah, you know, it's 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 nice to see that they're. that they're getting some big time playing minutes so yeah. so yeah no good stuff
1: yeah because some of my listeners have been asking because I, I, lately I've been more excited about American players shining in the Champions League than French players and like well French players have been shining in the Champions League for for God knows how long I mean that that's that's that goes you know just so far back it's just seeing American players shine I mean that that's something that we, 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 didn't see, we haven't seen before I mean we probably see it every now and then but now we see all these American players playing in Europe I mean we talk about this this is something bright for the future of our national team of the American national team so but yeah but I'm still cheering for the French players, of course but of course you know I got to take a look at the American players too because you know it's just more to talk about more stories it's keeps me pretty occupied I mean, yeah would-
2: I mean the whole the whole history of the French players I mean that goes back to Platini playing with Juventus in the in the early mid 80s you know he was he scored the the game winning penalty when Juventus beat Liverpool in the the nineteen eighty five Champions Cup final, so that history goes back a little ways for French players, and then continued on with you know Zidane and Henri, you know playing playing well in uh, in Champions League play too. Um, so, but yeah, but Juventus got the win. I still don't. I still don't think this Juventus team is going to make a deep run. I think they'll. I think they'll make it to the round of sixteen. I really don't see them getting past the round of sixteen. To be really honest with you, yeah. You know,
1: uh, unfortunately, you're right. But you know, as far as Juventus goes, because I've asked, like, you know, what's what's the problem? Obviously, but I could give several reasons. But these reasons, whether they're true or not, it's there's not as much relevance as you would think. Because the bottom line is they're not winning. Because that's the main. That's what it comes down to. It's about winning, right? So if they're not winning. That's the main reason I can explain everything else. Like they don't have you know enough players. You know they lack motivation. They lack this, which which is definitely something I always say in an article. But that's why I always say at the end, the bottom line is they don't win. So it's basically I that that that's usually if you probably notice if you read my work, you always you always see how I kind of start with these problems and then I sum it up to the point is because of all that they don't win. So, but. Anyway, but last game I want to take a look is Besiktas and Dortmund. Well, Erling Haaland, I mean, he he continues to add to his record of uh, Champions League goals.
2: Scores a really nice goal against the Turks. And, uh, you know, going into Turkey, you know, inhospitable crowd. And this was a game that actually Besiktas actually was more dominant in this game. This was almost kind of almost a snatch and grab by the Germans uh, to be able to get the three points to come out of Turkey Turkey gets a late goal and stoppage time to make it a little more interesting but uh, mission accomplished for the Germans they go into a difficult place to play and they get all three points and Holland scores another fantastic goal it's, just,
1: it's absolutely right and I, I have to keep remembering it's it's Besiktas right? yeah okay I mean, uh, looking at their logo, I mean, their logo is, is just pretty fancy, and, you know, and speaking of Dortmund, I mean, Dortmund could, is also, you know, potentially a, a dark horse, but we'll just have to wait and see, and, you know, and, and but a lot, speaking of Erling Holland, you know, I've seen these reports that Real Madrid believe that they can get both Kylian Mbappe and Erling Holland. you know, a few months ago, I would have said that's definitely not possible, I think I think now they could technically still get both because if they get Mbappe obviously you know it's for free I mean they don't have to pay a transfer fee but but at the end but then I asked myself but if they do get both how are they get it's going to be difficult for them to be able to use them both at the same time because if you get both they're both young and they they're both yet to be in their prime and they're already dominant it would be a bad idea not to use them at the same time so I think in in order to do that they probably have to sell Eden Hazard so if Real Madrid does plan on getting both They're going to have to start conjuring up plans to sell Hazard.
2: To be honest with you, I think Holland may very well end up with Bayern Munich. I mean, that seems to be where every halfway decent German player, you know, when they're on the verge of, or player playing in the Bundesliga, uh, when they're on the the cusp of stardom, and Holland though, is beyond being on the cusp, he is a legitimate star. Would not totally surprise me, especially since Lewandowski is kind of getting up there a little bit in years, even though he's still performing wouldn't that surprise me totally to see Holland end up going down to Bavaria to ply his trade?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, Real Madrid, you know, with, with you know, everything, I mean, they can certainly go with, you know, whoever. But, yeah, you're right. I think I wouldn't be surprised if if Real Madrid has an offer right there for Erling Holland, ha- And then right before Holland, you know, can even reach for that pen, Bayern Munich's going to cut in, slam a contract on the table and says, check, we've, we've got a deal for you too. That's just how it goes with these heavy, with these very wealthy and big heavyweight clubs. You always, you always see these bidding wars. You know when they want to, when they want a player, you see it all the time. I mean, and I said this about Real Madrid, about Kylian Mbappe's case. You know, the, the fact that you know, I, I think if Liverpool basically knew that there was no way PSG was gonna was gonna be able to sell because no no team would agree to their ass demanding price. You know, now Liverpool's chances have just gotten a whole lot better because now it's not a transfer opportunity, it's just a signing opportunity, and there's no fee. So, I mean, but you know, but I already said this, like, I already said this, and I'm still sticking with my prediction. Within five minutes of him being officially no longer with PSG, Real Madrid is just like that, the contract is going to be signed. And I think, and like I said, both, both sides have it planned out already. Yeah, I think
2: it's pretty well a foregone conclusion that, you know, come the 22 23 season, Mbappe will be wearing the Madrid white.
1: I mean, I hate saying this, but I think at this point, Mbappe probably won't even bother listening to a Liverpool offer.
2: Well, I mean, there's also just the other matter, though, too, is that, you know, Fenway Sports Group, FSG, the consortium that, the American consortium that runs Liverpool, you know, they've been pretty much sitting on their wallet. You know, they really did not do a whole lot in the offseason transfer season. I guess their feeling is is that you know they're they're this is a team that can still win now with the caveat that they stay healthy. You know, if this if this team does stay healthy, yeah, I I think Liverpool can challenge in the EPL. I think they can challenge and make a deep run in Europe, but you know, the key thing is, you know, can can they stay healthy? I mean, right now they've been kind of already been getting hit a little bit by the injuries. Firmino's gonna be out for a while, and then of course losing Harvey Elliott the other day. Massive loss to their midfield. But uh, I think the, the biggest thing is gonna be can you keep Van Dyke in that back line healthy? Because the Liverpool back line and especially those 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 two backs, Robertson on the left. Alexander Arnold on the right, those two, they produce an awful lot of offense for Liverpool. You know, they're very potentially capable defenders, but, you know, the the quarterback of that defense is still Van Mm Dyke. But, uh, but, but I think if, if Robertson and Arnold still play well, Arnold had, well, both Arnold and Robertson had really good games the other day against, uh, AC Milan. Um, Alexander Arnold was fantastic. He was, you know, for me, I thought he was Liverpool's man of the match. I
1: mean, it's ju- it's it, it's really good to see Virgil Van Dyke, you know, up on his feet, playing good, and of course, all the fellow <laughs> many supporters don't like me don't like me saying that, but I'm like guys, it's nothing personal. It's it's my job, objectivity. Yep. It's my job. I mean, I mean, this, some people will ask, like, am I? complimenting Liverpool you know you know you know because I'm your friend I'm like well look it's it's not that it's because you know I got to tell the truth I mean come on it's absolutely look I'm still a menu fan at heart I'm still I mean that's not gonna change I'm still at by heart but you know my occupation as a journalist you know that overshadows me as a fan because it's much easier being the objective than actually being the diehard fan believe it or not because you can be more positive there's more things to talk about and and that, that's, how, that's how you really grow yourself, really.
2: But, you know, the, the good news out of this first round of the Champions League, lots of goals. Totally. Lots of goals, lots of offense, some really, really good matches. So, you know, it's it's a good hors d'oeuvre, you know, waiting for these next matches to come.
1: Yeah, totally. And last thing I want to say, I mean, I can't I, – I don't think I could really ever consider myself a diehard menu fan – it's not because I never owned any mem- any jerseys or anything like that. It's because I was always a mini fan that I never hated Arsenal, I never hated Liverpool. I always respected Chelsea because I-, I always respected Drogba. I guess I was just a mini fan because I needed to pick a team, but I guess overall I've always been a I've always been a soccer fan that just loves the game. Like I don't have a league uh, favorite team. I don't have a favorite Serie A team. I mean, for Real Madrid, it's always been different because you know everybody knows how much I love Zidane. So. so, yeah. So overall, I've always just been a fan. When it comes to club soccer, I've always just been a fan that that appreciates and loves the game. So,
2: and, and that's it. Yeah. You know, you can you could, you know you could you could appreciate the brilliance. I yeah. mean, with me being a Liverpool fan, you know, I could still say that I really was blown away by Eric Cantona. You know, when Cantona was you know, at the height of his game in the, the early to mid-90s with with Man U, I mean, he just brought such Gaelic, swashbuckling flair to the game. I mean, he was such an incredible player, and it just, it killed me that Liverpool actually had a chance to get him, and they, that was one they let got, get away that they really regretted for a long time.
1: I mean, that's one of the biggest what-ifs, and not just soccer, but all, but in sports overall, what if? What if Cantona had gone to, uh, you know, Ant Field instead of Old Trafford?
2: But but you know what? In the end, it it worked out extremely well for both Sir Alex and and for Cantona. Their temperaments absolutely meshed.
1: Oh, totally.
2: uh, I don't, you know, I just I don't think that there's any other manager that could have gotten the production out of Cantona that he got. And Cantona always had. And still has, you know, so much respect for for Sir Alex Ferguson. And if you get a chance to see the documentary on Sir Alex that his son actually directed, uh, there's a handful of former players that are on screen and Ah is one of them. So, you know, that sort that sort of says a lot uh, about the relationship those guys had.
1: A hundred percent. But. And last thing I want to say, it, it could be worse because I I think there's there's just one thing that really overshadows Liverpool's f- failure to get Cantona. I think it's Newcastle United passing on passing on the opportunity to sign a young Zidane. I think that's probably the one of the that's probably the worst decision Newcastle United ever ever made. Well, okay, maybe not because Newcastle actually has a history of of passing on players. They pass on a young Mo Salah. They passed on Luka Modric. Yeah, so yeah, so Liverpool's really not the worst, the worst out of it. So,
2: yeah, no, that's, there's no doubt
1: about it. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all very much for joining us on this 100th episode of Into the Net FC. Steve, again, thank you so very much for being such an important part of this show. I really appreciate your loyalty, your support, and you being a great friend.
2: Well, it's fun to join you and just talk soccer. Everybody, have a good rest of your weekend